Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Praise God. Amen. Um, our service is a bit different today. Uh, we are, I'm going to have a conversation um, with a few people who, by virtue of the burden God has given them, what they do uh, can help shed some light in this area and bring encouragement to us as we stand with our brothers and sisters. Our theme for today is A Light of Hope, a Christmas Tribute to the Persecuted Church. And there's a, a pattern that repeats itself year, year after year. Um, round about Christmas, uh, persecution, the persecution of Christians increases all around the world. Um, and so as we celebrate Christmas, with the freedoms that we have, we felt that uh, it wouldn't be, it would be unchristian of us not to remember brothers and sisters who can't celebrate Christmas uh, the way we do. And so, got a few people who you all know. Um, um, everybody knows Pastor Ayo Ayo Adedoni. Um, his passion, he has a passion for social justice. He's been part of the Jesus House leadership team. For more than two decades, um, he oversees community action and oversees our engagement with the government um, and with various other organizations. He also serves uh, as CEO of an international development, human rights, and social justice charity. Uh, the full name for the charity is the International Organization for Peace Building and Social Justice in the UK. But we all, we everybody calls that organization PSG. Uh, UK. He's passionate about um, social justice, um, has given himself to it, and God has really opened doors for him. Ayo finds, I find, I, I, Ayo finds himself in places that make me marvel in this country, uh, the favor that God has put on him. He's married to Lola, um, and they have two young adult, adult children. Please make Ayo, Pastor Ayo, welcome as he comes. And then um, our second, uh, the second person coming up here to have this conversation, again, someone who has been in Jesus' house for more than two de decades, part of our leadership team here, um, a, a, a deaconess in the church, part of the le leadership team. Um, she works, uh, her day job is as a director of program partnerships in what I think is the foremost child rights international human rights organization, Save the Children. Um, and with that, she's traveling all over the world um, in that capacity. Um, and here she sits uh, as part of our female leadership. She oversees temple keepers. She's got a burden for mature single ladies. Um, and she was behind the refresh um, gathering we had uh, with Michelle uh, last week's Sunday. She also heads up uh, 
our Rainbow Intercessory Prayer Group Hope that prays uh, for the persecuted Christians. Please make welcome Uju Aderemi, Mrs. Uju Aderemi. She's married to Pastor Lekon, and she has three, they have three children. Make her welcome. And the uh, third person um, has been in Jesus' house literally from in- inception. Um, she oversees Global Hands. That's uh, Jesus' house's response to social injustice and poverty all around the world. She heads up our women's ministry, Esther's. Uh, she is co-founder of a charity, Bright Futures for African Children, with her husband. Um, She's also an ambassador for Open Doors UK, and she now sits on the board of trustees of Compassion UK and Ireland. She's passionate um, about uh, matters to do with the persecuted church and social justice. Um, um, Please make welcome. And uh, amongst her other jobs, she also has arguably her most important responsibility, looking after me and the children. Make welcome Shola Hiruku, Pastor Shola, PSI, as, as you know, we fondly call her. That was a joke, please. You know, these days of social media, you have to, you have to qualify some of these things. Well, thanks. Thank you for um, coming up and let, uh, joining me in this conversation. Um, and both, all of you, I know, I know all of you very, very well, very personally, all of you very close to me. So I know your burdens. And, and what I wanted to start with was how did you, each one of you, get a burden, the burden you have for the persecuted church? Because I see how you guys are going nonstop with all the other things that you have to do. So how, how did this burden come about? Ayo, let's start with you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I, I was reflecting on that same question recently, and I realized that having been part of Jesus' house for such a long time, um, there is so much that gets imputed into us. And I, I think over the years, this whole concept of beyond our personal walk, walk with God, being able to discover who we were created for um, has led me to that place. And I think it was just before the pandemic that um, uh, it it became really sharply focused um, that what was going on here was just so unreal. And during the pandemic, I had an opportunity on one occasion to actually get to meet the persecuted church. You know, you always hear about it. We've prayed about it in church, but I got to meet them face to face, and that locked it in. Okay. Shall I, what, 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 what got you going? Well, it actually started with you, because I remember it did? you. It did? Oh, wow. It did. Um, Appreciate over, me. <laughs> <laughs> over 10 years ago, um, you went for a conference in America, oh, yeah. and I remember you came back and you said, Shola, there's a missing link. Um, and it's a passion for the persecuted church. And in those days, I thought some churches were passionate about persecuted church and some churches just, just weren't. But, you know, you shared that with me and I just, by God's grace, caught that burden and it has grown and grown and grown since then. Okay, would you, how, how did you find yourself so passionate about, 
our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. Well, it was your phone call saying, <laughs> Uji, we have this grouping church that we're starting, the, the hope, and I want you to lead it. And I thought, how do you say no to pastor? Uh, PAI, you don't. And so I went to God from the very first one. I don't want to take on another thing that, you know, you just do it for man. And I asked God to help me, give me a burden. And we know God answers prayers. So, yeah, the burden continues to grow. Fantastic. Well, I guess that means that I should be talking to all you guys one-on-one and transferring this burden to you. It's interesting because um, I'd kind of done that with Sholan Uju and moved on. And now I think I'm trying to play catch-up with both of them in terms of the burden uh, that they have. I just, just, you know, sometimes, like Mark mentioned, it can seem disconnected. We can seem very disconnected from this persecuted church. And we have some sort of head knowledge. Um, but it doesn't really connect. Um, we found that's a challenge. Just give us a quick overview of the scale of the challenge. Yeah, I, I think Mark did a fantastic job. The video um, gave us a snippet of that. And um, I talked earlier about um, going into the middle belt of Nigeria and meeting the persecuted church. What happened at that, on, on that day was that it came from outside and became very real. Uh, and it is very real. Uh, and I find out even after then that it is more realer than what I even experienced on that day. 360 million Christians is a lot of Christians. Uh, one in every seven Christians around the world is being persecuted. I thought uh, the, the smash and squeeze description explains it absolutely perfectly. In, a, in, in Africa, one in every five Christians are persecuted. And we wouldn't know that sitting in some parts of Africa. In Asia, it's doubly worse. Two in every five Christians are persecuted. It, it, it is very real in all forms and all different shapes and sizes. Yeah. Okay. What, 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 you know, just so that we, 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 we home in, what does persecution look like? Yeah, um, again, um, Mark and the video did a brilliant job, but just to try to paint a picture of what persecution looks like. Now, according to Open Doors, the 50 countries where Christians are persecuted for their faith, it ranges from deep red, extreme, to um, very, um, very difficult, which is, so I'll give some um, words it starts from like intimidation, wrong information and propaganda, taking away people's national identity. For example, somebody will come and tell you that because you're a Christian, you're not British anymore. Because you're a Christian, you are not Somalian anymore. Um, legal threats. And then it becomes more sinister. People are, kids are kicked out of school or they are not allowed to go to school. Or the wives or the husbands, whichever becomes a Christian, is beaten by the other, kicked out of her, their home, they lose their children, or their children even attack their parents. And it gets even more sinister where people, girls are kidnapped, they are raped, they are forced into marriages. And it gets even more sinister where they begin to 
they ostracized them out of their communities. They burned down their homes. They burned down their communities. They burned down churches. And it even gets more sinister in places like North Korea, where we saw on the video, where they find out you're a Christian and you're sent to labor camps, which are basically death camps, or killed on the spot, or in places like in Nigeria, where hundreds of people, thousands of people are being killed. So that's, and then recently we have digital persecution. Um, so that's a yeah. picture of what persecution looks like. Wow. Would you want to say something to that? Yeah, because honestly, when you first hear about persecuted Christians, before it became real or before it becomes real, you always think it happens to other people, do you know? And if you were at work and your boss finds out that you're a Christian and begins to discriminate against you and eventually you may lose your job, that's something you can relate with here in the UK. And then for children who have parents who have been abducted, uh, can you imagine the psychosocial trauma that sets off? They have to start working, the boys have to start working to help their mothers gain income. The girls, as uh, PSI said, they're more open and vulnerable to sexual attacks. And even most times, uncles and aunties will force them into marriages. So it's, it's a whole cycle that, from what you think is the very least to, most people always think is, oh, people in prison. Yes, it is people in prison, but they're the everyday ones that you can relate to, like losing your job, not having food, because you're in a community where they're predominantly Muslims and you're known to be a Christian and they can't get food to you. Well, you know, I, I saw something online and you never know with these online things. Is it real? Is it not real? You know, um, and there were debates online about whether this was real. But, you know, from, from what we know and hear, these kind of things happen. And it was a graphic description of... Um, um, uh, a, a husband and wife being kidnapped um, ostensibly as a result of their faith and the abuses that the wife had was subjected to and the husband made to watch the abuses she was subjected to and it was it was horrendous you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a husband I'm married to Shola and I just can't imagine you know, I, I just can't imagine what, what that man must have felt um, as his wife was repeatedly abused. Um, and, and sometimes those things can seem so far away. Um, the, 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 the child that has dreams of growing up with his parents and then watches his father slaughtered and his mother raped, you know, and the list goes on and on. Um, and, you know, those are the things that bring it home to us, that this is real. It might not be happening to us here uh, in the relative freedom of a Western democracy, but it's real. Um, and, and did you, you, you know, you, you, your day job is you work with children. You're, you know, director of partnerships at the, what is arguably the biggest child charity. Um, and so when you now start to pray for the persecuted church, you must have a particular burden for how children suffer as a result of persecution. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I kind of touched on it a bit. The, the, and you touched on it, Pastor, the psychosocial trauma that they have to experience when they see their parents being um, victimized because of their faith. And also, a lot of these children, um, yesterday when we were talking, PSI said, um, what are the hopes that you have for your children? All these parents who are being persecuted for their faith have those same hopes for their children, that their children go to school, they grow up safe, and that they go on to become all that God had created them to be, that they eat, and that they have good health. But in most Muslim communities, it's interesting, those 10 um, countries, those top 10 countries where Christians are persecuted, I've been to a couple of them this year. And in some of them, our organization, like most other aid organizations, run refugee camps for people who have been displaced. Obviously, you're being, you are already being um, victimized where you're from because of your faith. How much more when you're in those settings, those temporary settings where food is at a premium? So those communities, those children are often the last to eat because their parents don't get food as well. And also just safety. On their way to school, they're attacked sometimes. The girls, uh, some teenage boys go beyond bullying and it becomes something else because the girls are vulnerable. So yes, for children, uh, it's more, it's a lot more because of the traumas they will carry for the rest of their lives. We try to make sure that children survive, learn, and thrive in our organization. But with my Christian lens, when I go to those visits, I can really see in every community there are people who are ostracized. And then you know that these Christians, there are Christians here who are ostracized. So my heart really does bleed a lot for them, mostly for the children. Okay. Um, Shola, you you traveled recently recently. In, in, amongst your many travels, um, uh, you traveled to um, a country and you, you encountered on the ground Christians who were being persecuted. You spent days with them. Um, what struck you about them? Well, there, there, were four, there were many, but there were four things that I'd, I'd really love to share with us today. The first is to say thank you for all the prayers for the persecuted church. One cannot imagine how much they appreciated. I mean, tears would come into their eyes when they would hear that people who they might never see um, this side of eternity are praying for them. So number one is to say thank you for your prayers. The second that struck me about them was their resilience. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. So we heard from a group. They told us that the government was really stressing them out about, you know, meeting. And they would just shut down their meetings. And so they thought to themselves, well, the government starts work, government officials start work at 8 a.m. We can be meeting at 4 a.m. So every Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out, like Mark said, whether it's snowing, whether it's whatever, they're meeting from 4. And by 6, they're done and they're gone. And, you know, so number two, their resilience. Number three... Number three is their boldness and courage. I mean, they are bold and they are courageous. I mean, one of those meetings, I asked them, I said, you know, when they come and arrest you, when you go into prison, aren't you scared? And they actually laughed. And I think one of them felt sorry for me, that this Western girl, and said, okay, 
You know, if they arrest us, the first time, we're scared. The second time, we're less scared. The third time, we're less scared. So it gets to a point where we're not scared anymore. So they're boldness and courage. And then the fourth, which for me, the persecuted church, is their forgiveness. I mean, they forgive. Because, you know, I asked them, I said, you know all these people that are doing things to your, to your children, taking away your identity, not letting you work, and all these things. Don't you... Don't you, don't you hate them? Don't you? And they, sneak, they laughed at me again. And they were like, what's that? That no, the word of God tells them that they have to forgive. They have to forgive their leaders. They have to forgive everyone. So for me, those were the four things that, from the persecuted church, I have changed my life and I can never forget. And I think, I think it might have been you who told me this, but, or I might have heard it somewhere. Um, North Korea is, is, is number one and has been for the last, I don't know, eight, nine years. Um, and the persecution in North, North Korea is off the scale. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it was you who said to me, you met a North Korean Christian. I think it was you. And you were, you were just shocked at, at what he described as their needs, their greatest needs, because you were with a group who uh, were asking what we could do um, and their greatest need was prayer, yeah, and particularly prayer for King John, King John, who, yeah, that he would meet Christ, and that really struck me. That these are people whose families uh, have been, some of them have lost family members, separated from family members, running the risk of being killed. And the, the organization that is doing that is headed by King Jong, King Jong Hu. And their prayer for him, their prayer for him wasn't um, kill him, kill my enemy, cut off his head. Um, their prayer for him was that he would meet Christ. That really struck me. Um, as, as, as you guys have... have what you've walked this journey. Um, of course, I know the Bible has been like it is for our brothers and sisters. The, I know each one of you, the Bible has been foundational. Is there one scripture that, amongst the many scriptures, one scripture that has played a major part as you have walked walk this journey? So, Aya, will we start with you? Yes, for me, um, and this has actually been inspired from uh, Dr. Richard, uh, who uh, talks about the scripture in 2 Kings uh, chapter 7, verse 3. And this is the lepers yeah. asking that very salient question, why sit we here yeah. till we die? Yeah. Uh, and um, as we speak a little bit more about the deeper things that are going on, you see why that is so important. But that, that's been the one scripture I've been holding on to. Okay, preach a one-minute sermon with that scripture. <laughs> why sit we here? Go for it, a one-minute well, sermon. Well, the, 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 the situation facing the church in Nigeria, around the world, is something that the Bible has already uh, predicted, that there is going to be persecution. Uh, but then the Bible also says to us, that the, uh, the, the church will win. The gates of hell will not prevail. And so we have a responsibility, those who are on the front line of the persecution on the ground, 
But then those of us who are not quite on the front line are in relative safety also have a responsibility. And what that scripture is speaking to us is that we should take hold of that responsibility and not just sit here and say, we will die. Because as in that scripture, there was a suddenly, yeah. there was a change that was orchestrated from the heavens, but because the people were obedient. And I feel that that is our responsibility. That's certainly what's motivating me to do what, we're, uh, what I and a whole bunch of other people here and around the UK are doing. Uh, why sit we here? Because the gates of hell will not prevail. Good sermon. Um, Shola, what's your scripture? That was a preach. It was a preach. <laughs> Romans 8.37, that know in all these things we are more than conquerors. And to the persecuted church, the 50 countries, we speak over them that know in all these things, in beatings, in raping, in killing, in prisons, in lack of food, in famine, in, in, in coldness, in whatever it might be. Know in all these things, persecuted church, you are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus who loves you. You didn't, you, you didn't even wait for me to say <laughs> preach and you just went on and preached. <laughs> okay, would you... I'm what? not a preacher. They're pastors. No, no, no. Yeah, teach. <laughs> teach for a minute. <laughs> well, um, Hebrews 13, 3, the ERV version says, Don't forget those who are in prison. Remember them as though you were in prison with them. And don't forget those who are suffering. Remember them as though you were suffering with them. So um, in a group, when we come together to pray for uh, persecuted Christians, we think about them as our family. The anchor scripture that you gave us for persecuted Christians is if one member suffers, all the rest suffer. Therefore, if we are one body, you mean that you are a finger if your little finger or your little toe suffers your whole body suffers yeah. if you have a little headache your whole body has a headache so why pretend you know that it's not your body when you when you understand that it's it's your body they're your body they're your brothers and sisters then you put yourselves in their shoes remember them and pray for them and then your prayer becomes fervent and not perfunctory and it says you know when you do this you fulfill the law of christ the law of christ is love and that's what it's all about wonderful at this point i'm tempted to collect a blessed to be a blessing offering for them i mean this, that was amazing yeah um i um, you have been very involved in the uk um I go to places and they say, do you know Ayo? And, and, I, and I, find that, I find that I'm now letting Ayo Sheen rub off on me. I say, yeah, 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 I'm his pastor. Uh, he serves with me in Jesus' house, in all kinds of places. Uh, but in, in a, just a quick overview of where we are in the UK. And I know last year there were some gains. Yeah, last year and the year before there were some gains. And it's good for us to know that there have been some gains. The true report, uh, um, yeah, uh, Fiona yeah. Bruce doing an act. So just, you know, tell us. Absolutely, absolutely. The, um, when I think back to 2019 when we started and going into certain places in the corridors of power and having certain conversations, there's been a big shift that's happened. It's happened very slowly. 
I remember the narrative in the State Department, in the Foreign Office, um, concerning the persecution in Nigeria. The language was cold and shot down. And, and it's been interesting to see how God has very quietly made some changes and some moves, so much so now that Red Wednesday is a fixture, not just in the Christian calendar, but the foreign office and a whole bunch will, will of... You, will you explain what Red Wednesday so, is? So, Some so people might Red know. Wednesday is a day which they started with the Catholic Church, um, aids to the church in need, uh, dedicated this day to remember those who were persecuted, and the red was representative of the blood of martyrs. Uh, and to see that gain in traction where whole buildings that are not just church buildings are being lit up is encouraging. This year, um, the Prime Minister's Special Envoy, Fiona Bruce, uh, and the Prime Minister himself had an exchange in Parliament committing themselves to delivering on the Bishop of Truro's report, which is the UK government doing something about this. Now, the wheels of government turn very slowly, and there's a whole bunch of additional interest in there. But the fact that, that those changes are happening, uh, to see the work that a whole bunch of parliamentarians in the House of Lords, in the House of Commons, are doing in this space, the uh, quiet conversations that they're having behind the scenes, is very encouraging. Uh, and so, if there is going to be persecution, as the Bible uh, tells us. What I see that is encouraging in this regard is the fact that people are beginning to step up and are beginning to slow down uh, what, what is going on over there. And I must say, it does make a difference, and it does need each person's involvement to make a difference. Many of you would have heard uh, in the last 48 hours that Rhoda Jatau, who was uh, imprisoned in Nigeria, unjustly, unfairly, what is definitely persecution, um, was finally released on bail. And there's a whole Amen. bigger uh, 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 story behind that. But it is indicative of the fact that we must raise our voices and we must take action. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on that and, and ask the next question of all of you. And you can all do it together, just chip in. Um, Okay, Jesus' house has kind of taken a position. Thank God for that. And thank God for all the roles that you all are playing. Um, um, Uju Heads Up Hope, which is part of our Rainbow Prayer Group, um, and they pray every Tuesday for the persecuted church. Um, like I've said, in Jesus' house, if you're genuinely in Jesus' house, you must be in one of the seven prayer groups. Yeah, Hope is one of them. And we talked about all the others. And um, if you want to find out a bit more about those seven prayer groups, after the service, some of us will be up front, and you can come up and, and, and meet us. Um, so you all are involved. Shola, you're an ambassador for Pundos, IOU head, PSJ UK, and then you're involved in the church. And, and it's, it's your work that has pushed Jesus House in, in this area. I think certainly in the body of Christ. Um, this is one church that stands for the persecuted church, speaks for the persecuted church, prays for the persecuted church, and gives to the persecuted church. But then, like we've been saying, 
in this season, it's a season of a shift. It's a season of a transition. And God is moving all of us from where we were to where we should be. So at Jesus' house, we want to do more. So the question I have for all of you, and you can all chip in, and then I'm sure you'll paint a picture. Um, the average person who's sitting here at Jesus' house watching this and thinking, wow, I didn't realize this, the, the, the scale of this. Now, we don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed and paralyzed. You can almost feel like, <laughs> I mean, where do I begin? So what can people do practically to, 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 to be used by God in this area practically? Any one of you can go, and then let's just chip in. Well, they can pray. There is a hope prayer meeting, which uh, we run on Tuesdays. And um, as PSI said, the one thing they ask for is prayer. We, we, I try to, uh, I go on social media, and I try to follow quite a lot of organizations who uh, support the persecuted church and the one thing they always ask for is prayer prayer that they will stand and prayer that they will show forth Christ even in their persecution the second thing is just partner with one of the organizations Open Doors is here as you rightly said uh, if you're interested in education for children they run education centers that provide safe learning for children uh, there's other organizations like China Aid if you're a lawyer or you want to make sure that uh, Christians get good representation. China Aid does that. Help the persecuted. They are an organization of Christian churches that serve Christians in the Muslim world and also Voices of Mata. These, you may think that your one pound, ten pounds, five pounds will make a difference. It will make a huge difference. So yeah, join one of these organizations, but charity begins at home. So Pray at home. Join the whole prayer meeting. Okay. All right. And what we'll do in terms of empowering people, Ayo, um, we'll, we'll, we'll put out um, the different organizations that people can partner with. Um, in our foyer, we have um, stands for Open Doors for PSJ UK uh, and for Hope, our, our Rainbow Prayer Group. But there are other organizations who are doing an, an excellent work. So we'll put them out so people can thank God for the matrix. If you're not on the matrix, the boat left. Um, you better be on the matrix. That's how information is going to go around. The matrix is our membership database framework. If you're not on it, these things are going to go out quicker. That's the way the world is, is, go, is going. So you just, if you're in Jesus' house, you've got to be on the matrix. So we'll do that. In terms of that, so pray is one thing. Um, partner with uh, the, those who are established, who are on the ground, who have the infrastructure, who have the precedence. Uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So partner with them. Yeah, Shall are you going to say something else we can do? So I, I think two weeks ago I was at a meeting where they were talking about um, Hong Kong. And there, I'd never really fully understood the power of it. But there was a lady there who was talking about the power of all of us writing to our MPs. And the lady was like a church like Jesus House, um, those of us here on the base, those of us watching online, Francophone Church, the, uh, the Rock Church, um, the you know, on a hub. You know, if every single one of us <laughs> wrote to our MPs, 
we would we would start something or you know kind of facilitate what already is and so I'd never realized that I'd never been one of those people that used to write to the MPs but they were like you you should and like Pastor said, um, the, the plight of the persecuted church is on the radar. And so we need to hone in on that. And so I'd like to encourage us to write their templates. Um, so there's no need to reinvent their templates and just take those templates and send out and share and just get people sending out those letters to our MPs. And by God's grace, great things will happen. Okay. And then, and then I guess... And I, you know, a, a follow-on from this. So, you know, Jesus' house, we want to make it happen, is, is to help us. For a lot of us, that's a big step. We've never engaged in that way. Um, and, you know, if Jesus' house gets it right, there's always a, a multiplier effect with all the other churches that, you know, we're, we're privileged to serve. Yeah. So I think actively we've got to encourage ourselves to, that's part of our civic responsibility. We've, we've got to engage. Fortunately, we're in a parliamentary de- democracy, um, and unlike some parts of the world, a letter, and I'm not mentioning any other any part in the world, but here, a letter counts. Yeah. You, a letter to your MP counts. Yeah. I, I mean, just to pick up on that, uh, and um, I think the ladies have said it all, uh, Uju mentioned start at home, and um, when we started uh, PSJ UK, it was aimed at mobilizing the massive diaspora, African diaspora. We focus particularly on Nigeria because Nigeria is a, well, a bellwether country. It, it, it's one of those places where if it implodes, if it blows up, if some of the things that are threatening it were to come to pass, it will make, it would disrupt the entire region, I dare say the entire continent. So, Starting at home, we realize, as Pastor Shola said, that we have a voice, we've just not been using it. And so on the PSJ website, for instance, we have those templates. It is amazing the power of what you can shift. If only a hundred people, if one MP receives a hundred letters, off the back of that hundred letters, I can demand a meeting Five of us can go into a meeting together. There was a video we were going to show earlier. We're going to show, we're going to show the video. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which kind of gives a little bit of an overview of the power of being organized and working together. And this is what Jesus House uh, can do. First of all, the spiritual advocacy. Every Friday evening, uh, we have a prayer meeting recognizing the fact that that is what shifts things. Yeah. Some people will attribute other reasons as to why Rhoda Jatau suddenly became free after she had been held for ages and ages. We understand, as a church, the spiritual uh, importance. And so, first of all, we would love to invite people. I know there are some Fridays when there are other things going on, but for as many Fridays as people can connect into that prayer, that that place on our knees is our strongest um, uh, tool of advocacy, And then come and get involved in uh, this whole idea of mobilizing the diaspora community means that we have groups for policy writers and policy makers. We have advocacy groups within PSJ UK. We have a media group. We have uh, IT groups. 
So I was actually quite fascinated to find out that people who have come to lend their hands towards helping their brothers and sisters are also picking up skills that is helping them in their workplaces and etc. So I think as has been said that it's so important to come to the desk, find out a lot more, uh, and see how we can work together as a collective unit. Okay, so um, prayer, yeah, uh, uh, partnering yes. with, with those who already exist, um, and, and, and then um, making sure we use the fact we're in a parliamentary democracy, putting pressure on government, and government, we start with our MPs, um, and then giving. Yeah? I mean, none of you mentioned giving, but I know that's a critical part of it. Yeah? Uh, giving of our time, uh, giving of our talent, and giving of our treasure. I, I took that from Lide, by the way. Uh, I'm sounding very intelligent here, time, talent, and treasure. I, borrowed, I got it from Lide. So, so yeah, that's what we're, we're, we're called to do. Is there any other thing we, we could be doing here at Jesus House? I guess we could also, each one of us, could also be raising awareness in our various communities. Yeah? Be, go on, Nuju. No, I was just going to say social media. Yeah. China Aid actually depends on social media to let the outside world know what's happening to Christians in China. Okay. So that, and then it, social media and in our various communities... Because, you know, um, if you take Nigeria, um, for example, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed. In fact, it's an amazement to me as to how people can be Nigerian. They have no clue. Yeah. And people are outside and they have no clue. Because they are in the south of Nigeria, they are in Lagos, they are, you know, in Ibadan, they are in the Port Harcourt, mm -hmm. they are in the south. And yeah. when they go home at Christmas, um, go back to Nigeria, Christmas is parties and it's Afrobeat. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, jollof rice and whatever else is going on. And they are shocked to imagine that in the same country, just because it's a big country, 6,000 odd miles away or whatever, however many miles away it is, in the same country, people are going through yeah. this. So there's a, there's a responsibility on us uh, to speak to our community, uh, fa our family or whatever community God has placed us in. And, and I wanted to end... Um, um, two things, Ujub um, and, and Shola. There's some, I think it's called a double persecution um, it, as it relates to women. I just wanted you to speak into that. Um. Um, I think the video that was showed earlier yeah. actually alluded to that. I mean, obviously, most places where there is war, it's a known fact that sexual violence and rape is a weapon of war. And persecution in itself is it's war, really. And so most women and children and girls, the female child, are often vulnerable to being exploited that way. And then when they're raped, when they do have children as a result of the rape, when by providence they're released and they go back into their communities, they're often ostracized. I think uh, PSI talked about that. And obviously also the fact that every day they have to bring up a child who came from some very dark circumstances. And also the fact that in communities where patriarchy reigns in most of these communities, when the woman's husband, assuming they were both Christians and they were ostracized, when the woman's husband dies, she's at the mercy of the family. So it is double jeopardy in most cases. I mean, sexual violence is the most heinous violence that one can experience. 
So that is one of those things. Yeah. Okay. You want to say anything to that? Okay. Um, Aya, we're going to end, end on, on the, on the, with you, um, but just before we do that, um, I'm going to ask each one of you to give us one word, one phrase, one sentence, one charge. So think about it. And then Ayo, um, you mentioned it with, with Nigeria. Sub-Saharan Africa is big in this whole issue of uh, the, the, the persecuted Christian and the agenda of fundamentalists uh, to take over Africa. Um, and like you said, if Nigeria with 200 million plus people implodes, and of course we pray by God's grace it won't. And the paradox of Nigeria is in the south you could, you could forget, uh, but yeah, you know that it, it's, it's a time bomb. Well, it, it definitely is a time bomb, and it's a time bomb that is already in motion, as in the wire, the thing is already burning down the wicker. You know, there's a scripture in Amos that says, Woe to them who put afar the day of destruction. And I think you put it exactly rightly when you said there are people sitting in Nigeria, in parts of the Nigeria, very comfortably, going, flying into Nigeria for 30 December and a whole bunch of different things going on, and do not realize how much of an explosion is building up. But when you get to find out some of the stories in, in this um, publication, which there are some, I mean, it's on our website and there's some at the desk in the front, it, it are actually real-life scenario situations of thousands of Rodas, thousands of um, Leah Sharibus. Now, the one particular one I would just like to mention is I had the privilege of going with a parliamentary delegation to Nigeria and I got to speak to a lady, Regina, who described the difficulty she explained, that, that she experienced, when her bus was stopped between Damaturu and Biu. And this is in the north of Nigeria. In the north of Nigeria, and how she was pulled out, how the different treatment that was separated based on their religion, what happened to her, how she had to wake up in the middle of the night where she had been beaten, uh, use a nail clipper or something to cut off all of her hair to look as so unattractive to them in the morning. When I heard the story of her miraculous escape from that place, first of all, I knew that there is a God in heaven. Amen. But you know what touched me the most was the fact that inside that camp, she met hundreds of other girls that nobody knows their names, nobody is calling out for, and they are there incarcerated. These are missing people in families all over the place. Right across Nigeria, on Thanksgiving, this last Thanksgiving, where we were shopping for goods on Black Friday and whatever, a community in Taraba was attacked, people killed. Did you know that in the same Nigeria, there are communities where uh, people do not pay taxes to HMRC or the equivalent of it in Nigeria, they pay their taxes to non-state actors who actually uh, the price or the punishment for not paying your taxes could be death and people have been killed. Uh, and, and, and there are farmers that are being deprived. I mean, we hear some headline narratives that say farmer heard a clash. It is very far from that. And so the 
real message here is that we need to wake up. We cannot be sitting in faraway London because the people in the persecuted church are our families. Some of us have blood families in the same country, in the same region. And the persecution is getting closer. The squeeze and the smash is getting harder. And people are recounting their stories every day. Even in that booklet is a snippet of the realities of what's going on. And so please come to the table and uh, talk to us to get a much better view. Uh, Dr. Richard, who many of you know and would probably find, uh, uh, hear from, will, will give you so much more in terms of the realities and the necessity for us to rise, wake up and rise up. Okay. Um, I think you've, you've, you've said your charge in that, but just <laughs> yeah. give us one, up, one sentence. One sentence. I, I like the last, the last it, three. It is. Wake up, rise up. Each person, you are a powerhouse. You can make the difference. I was sitting here, did not know anything. It was charges from this same pulpit that made me rise up. I was actually quite surprised to find out what I could do and how much I could do. And um, I would like to encourage everyone to do the same. Okay. Shall I your church? As I sat here, I was reminded of a quote by Margaret Mead, who says that never underestimate the power of a, of a small group of focused, committed people to change the world. In fact, it is the only thing that can. Jesus' house, we are not a small group. We can turn this narrative about the persecuted church around. Amen. Would you, your church? I should have gone first, Pastor. Uh, <laughs> so, let love drive you. Um, Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. Let love guide you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to, um, um, we had two videos to show. Open Doors have, uh, we've seen the Open Doors video, which was so concise and just revelatory and challenging. Um, we're going to see a video that's been put together by PSJ UK. Ayo um, serves as the CEO of PSJ UK and will introduce um, um, the driver of PSJ UK in a, in a second to lead us in prayers. But if you just sit back and let's watch this video, um, it's a short video. PSJ UK is a UK registered and regulated charity working for a peaceful and just Nigeria, which gets to achieve its true potential on the global stage. We exist to bring together Nigerians in the United Kingdom and friends of Nigeria to work practically for a peaceful country. Hello, my name is Katrina Lang. I'm the British High Commissioner to Nigeria. I wanted to send you a goodwill message. Organisations like PSJ UK are a really important part of the diaspora. We might call it a living bridge between the UK and Nigeria. We do this through cohesive advocacy and targeted humanitarian assistance for victims and survivors of attacks and atrocities where the government and society have failed to provide a solution and support. We need you to join in this effort. We conduct daily research and carefully monitor the various attacks so as to bring you credible and verified information. We write articles. 
stories and op-eds. We run online and in-person briefing sessions, policy forums, seminars, and conferences to mobilize the diaspora and the Friends of Nigeria. We provide tools and templates for you to write to your MPs to raise awareness and mobilize positive action. We organize meetings between constituents and their MPs for a deeper dive on these issues. We also run roadshows and town hall meetings to ensure that we get all of us who can make a difference. We provide advocacy training for those who want to do some more, including the provision of opportunities. Good morning, uh, beloved members of Jesus House. Today, the International Organization for Peace Building and Social Justice is honored to participate in this Awareness Sunday, shedding light on the persecuted church in Nigeria and Vietnam. Let's be clear, the issue of the persecuted church extends far beyond the borders of these two nations. It is a profound global challenge that demands our attention, all our attention. As believers in nations relatively blessed with peace like the United Kingdom, a vital question confronts us. How should we respond? At PSJ UK, we advocate a response that mirrors the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 4:18, describing his mission, Jesus Christ declared that he was sent to the poor, broken-hearted, the captive, the blind, and to liberate the oppressed. The story you hear today are not fiction. They represent a small fraction of the extensive persecution endured by the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. We employ you to stand with us. But, hallelujah. Amen. Well, I um, want to thank you guys for this conversation. Uh, please, will you appreciate um, Ayo, Shola, and Uju? Go on.